You know, as I was preparing for the study, you know, I was thinking about some things, you know, and the Bible I really love, man. The Bible is, if the Bible is anything, it's a book of redemption, you know, and uh, as we've seen through all the testimonies of uh, people that have came up here uh, over the weeks, and uh, we've seen the faithfulness of God, uh, the awesome thing that I really take from the scripture is how God, God has a plan, and nothing's going to stop God's plan. Amen. I mean, it's just it just blows me away sometimes when I think that, you know, no matter where I go, no matter how bad, you know, how many mistakes I've made, no matter what I've done. Ultimately, it's not going to thwart God from doing what he's going to do. And uh, that's just really a, bit, a real comfort to me. Uh, like I said, the Bible's a book of redemption. And as we see uh, God's plan actually unfolding, as we've been looking in the book of Exodus, when we see a lot in the Old Testament uh, sort of concealed, we see in the New Testament revealed. Uh, so th- we're at a real crucial point in the story of redemption because we're at this, the Passover story. Uh, the Passover was something that the Jews celebrated and was, uh, still do celebrate to this day. Uh, it's something that, uh, it's a really significant event. In fact, uh, prior to Christ, uh, it could be argued that the, the Passover is actually one of, one of, if not the most significant event in redemptive history. And the reason for that is because it so much, so vividly portrays Christ's death. I mean, it really does lay out what God's plan is in salvation. And so for us as Christians to be able to look back at that and to see and take note and learn from that, it's just really awesome, like I said. And so uh, I want to kind of back up and go through, uh, just kind of recap the book of Exodus a little bit, because as I said, um, the Passover actually is, as we've learned, it's all about Christ. Christ is our Passover. Christ was sacrificed for us. He was that lamb. He was that lamb without blemish. He was the one who actually would, he was our substitute. At the Passover, we learned that uh, the Jews had to take in the, the Passover lamb and, how, and we, how we went through all that. So I want to back up for a minute, going back to the, the, the very beginning of the book of uh, Exodus. We started off with how God started off with a plan. We see Israel uh, coming into Egypt, and Joseph had just passed away, and there's about 70 people, we learn. Okay, so it's a very small group of people, well, relatively so, the family, okay? And we see uh, a period of 400 years goes by, and it's kind of silent about what happens, but obviously we know the Jews multiply, and they really multiply. <laughs> they, they multiply very, very quickly. In fact, at this point in time, um, in the opening books of Exodus, when we see Pharaoh coming on the scene, we see Pharaoh, uh, he sees the multiplication of the Jews, and he feels threatened by that. So what does he do? Pharaoh, you know, he, he puts forth his edict to, you know, to wipe out, to, to kind of quelch the Jews from being so. Well, actually, first he starts off with, the, with putting, inflicting with bondage. And as we know, uh, that whole story and how he, um, he put heavy burdens on them. And then from there, we know how he actually goes and uh, Pharaoh actually commands that all the, the young, all the baby boys that are born to the Jews are to be murdered. They're to be slaughtered. Uh, so we see, um, and then from there we see Moses being born, and we see how Moses is actually brought up, ironically enough, in Pharaoh's house. Moses was actually born 
Moses, Moses was a, a Jew. He's brought up in Pharaoh's house, grows up there for 40 years. 40 years later, Moses actually kind of sees what's going on, and Moses knows, Moses actually knows he's, these are his people, and he sees his people being mistreated by, the, by, the, by Pharaoh, or by, I'm sorry, by, the, by an Egyptian. He actually sees an incident, and he actually goes out and kills a man. So then from there, uh, the story kind of rolls on, and Moses has, we know Moses goes out into the wilderness for 40 years and goes through uh, his 40 years of God bringing him up to a time where God's going to use him. So we fast forward another 40 years, and we see that the people of Israel are crying out to God. And so as we go into like the fifth chapter of the book of Israel, or the book of uh, Exodus, uh, we get to where uh, God calls Mer- Moses. God tells Moses that I've heard the groaning of the Jews, and God says that he looked down upon them and acknowledged them. He heard their cries. Now, it's kind of interesting because, again, this is all a part of God's plan because we can go back to, to the book of Genesis and how he foretold they were going to go into captivity and so on and so forth. But we kind of see now it's starting to come, the plan is starting to come a little more to fruition. This is a key point because we get to this point where this is all going to start coming together now because God now says, okay, Moses, you're my man. Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go to come and serve me. So we get to this point now and Moses is brought up and Moses is scared. Moses, when he first, well, we know Moses, you know, he hears the, uh, hears the call of God and he's intimidated a little bit and you know, all the things that go along with that, you know, but I can't help but think that, uh, you know, that had to be an awesome, <laughs> awesome responsibility. You know, I mean, Moses, obviously, you know, it's pretty, um, it had to be quite the, quite the experience to, to have God talk to you personally like that, but then also to give you such a high and lofty command from that point, you know, I mean, he, he's telling Moses, Moses, I'm taking you from the middle of nowhere out here in the wilderness serving. I'm going to take you out here and you're going to deliver my people. Two million people. You're going to take them, Moses. They're all going to follow you. You're going to go and tell Pharaoh. Pharaoh's not going to listen to you, but you're still going to tell him we're going to go through these things. And then we're going to go. Moses says, what? <laughs> Lord, Lord, I don't even have a mouth. I can't talk. How are you choosing me to do this? But as we know, again, God's plan is not going to be thwarted. God has a plan, and, it's, and God, um, God, through his providence, is going to have his plan come, come to pass. And, um, you know, that's one of the things that's really comforting to me, you know, again, like I said, is that to know that God's plan will come to pass. And it's something that we can take to heart, uh, that God's promises for us. You know, a lot of times in life, when the situation doesn't necessarily look like it's something that's going to happen. We all have been through those points where, you know, um, you know, maybe a financial crisis in our life or um, maybe a health crisis or maybe, you know, it could be anything that we may go through or anything that may happen to us. But God ultimately says, you know what? I'm doing things in your life for a reason. Your job is just to trust me. Okay? You've got things you've got to overcome. Okay? But all you need to do is trust me because in trusting me, you will find out. As Moses will say later on, you will stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And so, 
And so the scene is set now. Moses is getting ready to go up against Pharaoh. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it kind of reminded me of some things. Um, it, it, you know, it's kind of like a, here we have this big, I'm a boxing fan, so I kind of use a boxing analogy. Here we have this big, grand, heavyweight event. We've got Moses going up against Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the largest man known on the face of the planet at this point in time, against, as Pastor Michael said once, this dude with a stick. <laughs> so we got the dude with the stick going up against the mightiest, most powerful man there is at this point in time. And so we've got this interesting contrast here, which kind of be like, um, like I said, I'm a, I'm a fight fan, I'm a boxing fan, and I can remember back, um, and this is before he went cuckoo, but <laughs> I remember Mike Tyson, man, when he was coming up and he was a young boxer. Man, that guy was something to watch, man. He was, he was skillful. He would, man, in fact, he was so good that he would beat people before he even got in the ring because psychologically they knew they, people would call Mike Tyson the baddest man on the planet. You know, he just had this reputation. And man, if you are, Mike Tyson, man, you see how he not, he's knocking guys out in 91 seconds. You know, he won the heavyweight championship uh, at the youngest age of anybody ever. And so he just had this reputation as being the baddest dude ever. And so it would be kind of be like him going against Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, you know, there's no contest here, you know. But really what's going on behind the scenes is, is a whole nother story as we are learning. There's something else that's going on because Pharaoh's not actually going up against Moses. It's not Mike Tyson against Pee Wee Herman. It's actually Pharaoh fighting against the true king. He's fighting against the true champion that will never be dethroned. He's fighting against the one who never lost a fight, nor will he ever. But Pharaoh, remember Pharaoh now, when Moses comes to him and, and tells him, you know, God said, let my, pay, my people go. He said, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should listen to him? Oh, who are you with the stick, God? I mean, come on. You know, so Pharaoh, as we see, it's hard in his heart. But again, uh, we, we see that uh, the story is going to be a little different. So then we get into the plagues, and we've got, we've got ten plagues. The first nine, <laughs> I really like what Brother Oscar said about the, uh, I think it was the first one, uh, when the Nile turned to blood. Uh, maybe it was Pastor Mike, I don't know. Was, somebody was saying this, that um, uh, because, you know, the Nile was, was something that the Egyptians worshipped, and it was, it was considered a god to them. Uh, they considered it as a, a, a giver of life. And uh, the very first thing God has Mo Moses do is strike the Nile River and turn to blood, you know. And now all of a sudden, your God's bleeding, Egypt. You've got problems, you know. Uh, then we see some other plagues. We see the frogs and we see the lice and we see the flies. You know, we see all these, all these other things that are part of uh, the Egyptians' worship. Uh, all these things, all these false gods that they actually worship. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of it's kind of an interesting thing that. Uh, again, we were talking about how the uh, the magicians were actually able to duplicate some of what the, uh, the earlier uh, uh, the earlier miracles that Moses did. But again, they couldn't stop them. You know, they could duplicate them. They found they had some kind of way where they duplicate them or. At least that's what the, the scriptures tell us, but they couldn't stop them. So 
um, we see God is actually, like I said, there, there's a lot of gods that are in the land that the, the people are actually worshiping, and God's kind of pecking them off one at a time, you know. Oh, you, you think frogs or something? Here, frogs everywhere. Frogs coming out of your ovens. I mean, you, you got some God for dinner tonight. I mean, you know, you, you think lice or something? Okay, you're going sw- to be swallowed up with them. What about uh, locusts? You want locusts? Bam, there's a ton of locusts. Locusts for everybody. Locusts everywhere. You can't walk without a locust stepping on them. Uh, you know, and we see on and on. Then God strikes the livestock uh, in the fifth plague. Uh, we see uh, in the sixth plague, we see boils. Uh, in the seventh plague, we see hailstorms. Uh, uh, we see eighth plague, we see locusts. And, and then in the ninth plague, we have something interesting. We have darkness. And that actually um, went to one of the gods that Egypt worshipped, uh, that they actually considered one of the most powerful gods was the sun god, uh, so we see all these idols that were set up in the land, all these things that the people are, uh, that Egypt actually considered to be God. And one by one, God just kind of mocking them, picking them off. Okay, this is God, all right. Okay, this is God, okay. What do you think about this God now? What, do you, what about this one? What about, the, you think the lights are something? Okay, here's, here's another God for you. Okay, so all this way we see God just building this up all the time uh, throughout, the, throughout the story as, as we go on. And then we get along to the... Uh, and then we get down to the to the tenth plague, uh, and I'm going to turn real quick there in Exodus 12, verse 12. Get my Bible open here. In Exodus 12, verse 12, we see something that God says about um, about the tenth plague. As we know, what what the tenth plague was, which was death. Um, starting in verse, uh, what do we got here? Exodus 12, verse 12, we see uh, the Bible says, uh, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. So here, we see something very interesting. God has been executing judgment on all the gods, but here he specifically says, I will execute judgment on both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt. So God was laying out, excuse me, God was laying out, you know what, this one's going to be something that you guys are really going to take to heart. This is going to be something that's going to strike home. Um, And you know, the real interesting thing is it's kind of a contrast if you read the entire verse because it says again for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both man and beast and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment and then he says I am the Lord so God is setting himself apart completely from all these other false gods right now he's saying you know what okay we're drawing the line in the sand right here you know, I've been showing these people and showing them and showing them. I've given Pharaoh how many chances to repent. I've given them nine different plagues. I've given them plenty of opportunity. You know what? This is the time. The defining moment's getting ready to come right now when I'm going to set myself so far apart from them that they're not going to have any choice. So we see in the 10th plague, we see death announced. We see the death of the firstborn. Uh, like I said, the interesting thing is that God's really gracious with... Uh, God is actually very gracious with Pharaoh because, again, he gave him plenty of warnings. 
And uh, what do we see constantly throughout the theme was that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And so then now we're going to go on um, verses 13 through 20 real quick, just to kind of recap. Uh, and that says, now the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And I will see the blood and I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No man of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on the same day I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the 14th day, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month in evening, at evening. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats it, whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. You shall not eat, you shall eat nothing leavened in all your habitations. You shall eat unleavened bread. So we see a really big emphasis on uh, the people not eating leaven. And as uh, Brother Scott told us uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, he shared with us a little bit about the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread and kind of what um, leaven represents in the Bible. And it was it's kind of interesting because uh, it's a couple of passages that you can look up as references. I uh, have as 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, and Matthew 16, 6 through 12. Uh, it kind of talks a little bit about leaven and how it's, um, leaven is actually, uh, leaven is actually representative as uh, hypocrisy, as evil, and false teaching. So, but we also learned the importance of um, a little bit about what the, uh, the importance of the Passover and the, uh, the, the fact of uh, not having leaven at all um, in, any of, in any of the houses of Israel. In fact, I'm going to read something to you guys I found. I did a little bit of a, actually I was doing some research on, uh, on the Passover. Um, I was doing some research on the Passover, and I came across some in interesting things. You know, I found a, I found a book that it. Uh, well, actually, I, there's several books that I found on the Passovers and, and how the, the Jews, how important that holiday is for them. And again, one of the things that they did, I'm going to read to you. I found uh, kind of a typical preparation for the Passover. Uh, it says they had to prepare unleavened bread. Uh, the bowl of salt water was was put on the Passover table to remind them of the tears they shed in slavery and the parting of the Red Sea. Uh, the preparer mixed a, mixed a mixture of bitter herbs, uh, frequently made up of horseradish, chicory, endive, lettuce, and whorehound. I'm not sure what that is, but <laughs> that was done to remind them of the bitterness of slavery and the bunch of hyssop which, which the blood of the lamb had, had uh, been spread on the lentil and doorposts. They also made paste out of uh, crushed apples, dates, pomegranates, and nuts called 
the cheroseth. It was in this sauce that they dipped the bread during the meal. Uh, it is best seen as a symbolizing the clay and the mud that they used to make bricks in Egypt. They also would put sticks of cinnamon in the sauce, which reminds them of the straw they used in making the bricks. They had four cups of wine, uh, which were prepared to remind them of the covenant of, of God in Exodus 6, 6 through uh, 7, where he says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rid you of their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take to you for me a, a people, and I will be your God. Uh, and then, of course, we know the uh, most significant part was the uh, was the lamb which was slain, which had to be uh, slain within a two-hour period, as we read earlier in the book of Exodus. Um, you know, a couple of things that uh, kind of struck me, uh, just kind of backing up for a second here. Um, you know, as we came through all these plagues and we see all this, all this stuff that's going on, and right before this is about to happen, before God strikes the firstborn is, you know, again, this was... In Pharaoh's eyes, he's going up against Moses and his God. He's got his, you know, his enchanters and his magicians and such. And I kind of start, start to think, why didn't Pharaoh just, you know, when he got tired of Moses, say, you know what, I'm tired of you, Moses. I'm taking you out. You know, I mean, he was the most powerful man. And, you know, his people had to be saying, Mo, this guy, Moses, you know, he's getting publicity out there. He's, he's making you look bad, Pharaoh, you know. And the thing that kind of struck me is that... Um, you know, it kind of reminded me of Jesus uh, when the Jews wanted to kill him. And the Bible says that uh, they couldn't because it wasn't his hour. His hour had not come yet. And it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of interesting to note that, you know, when you're God's person or God's man or woman in God's plan, it really doesn't matter who's, Against you, as the Bible says, if God is for us, who's against, who can't be against us? It really doesn't matter because, again, it goes back to the sovereignty of God and how God ultimately is in charge of all things. Um, you know, I have a um, I have a license plate frame uh, that I actually am able to change up because I've got these different little letters I can put in. I can mix and match and put whatever, make it say whatever I want to say. Well. A saying that I, I, I have on there now, actually I have a scripture, and on the bottom it says, in his grip. Well, the scripture is, uh, the scripture is from the book of John 10, verse 28, and it says, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, nor shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And that is so true and so powerful. When God's got you in his hand, as he does each and every one of us, Nothing can stop us. Nothing can take us out of his hand. And so for me, like I said, I have this thing and it's kind of my thing. I, you know, I, when I type emails from time to time, I'll sign them in his grip because it, it just reinforces to me, I'm in God's hands. I, God's got me in his hands, just like he had Moses, just like Pharaoh couldn't do anything to Moses. Why? Because he was in God's plan. He was God's man executing God's plan. He was in God's hands. And that's where we are. And that's something that's really that really excites me. And in fact, I was thinking about the uh, the uh, class that we have coming up that we're going to start tomorrow night on uh, evangelism. You know, and obviously, you know, when you think about evangelism, you think about going out and you're thinking about, you know, witnessing and you're thinking about, you know, uh, you know, us as a, a body or believers going out and 
you know, there's going to be times when people are going to be against us. They're going to be, you know, obviously there'll be a lot of people that will be receptive, but there will also be things that will be against us. And I know that that, that for a lot of people, that that fear of someone not receiving them actually, you know, it makes it, you know, it's difficult for some people to overcome. But the thing that can comfort us, again, is that when we are in God's hands, nothing can stop us. No one can hurt us. Um, <laughs> I heard this story on, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll get a quick drink of water, but I heard this story on, the, I was listening to uh, uh, David Jeremiah was preaching, and uh, I can't remember the exact topic, but he he gave the story about uh, uh, about J. Vernon McGee, who had been doing this teaching on the doctrine of uh, uh, of, of predestination and on the sovereignty of God. And he said that some member of his congregation that came up to him afterwards and said, "You know what, Pastor?" <clears throat> he said, "I'm so convinced that God is keeping me." That no matter what I do, that if, I'm, if, if it's not my time, that I could walk out in the middle of rush hour traffic in downtown L.A. and I wouldn't be hurt. He said, that's how convinced I am of God's sovereignty and how much God's keeping me. And Pastor J. Vernon McGee looked at him and said, you know what, son? You walk out there in rush hour traffic, in the middle of noon, it's your time. <laughs> I thought that was a cute story <laughs> and So I guess he was saying You know uh, God says not to tempt him also So <laughs> not to put him to the test So, um, But yeah like I was saying it, it, For me it's, it's so comforting I, I didn't realize we kind of ran out of time I had quite a bit more we were going to go over But um, to me it's so comforting That uh, Again, that when we're in God's plan, you know, as we all are, God says he has a plan for each and every one of us. When we're in God's plan, there is nothing that can stop us. There's nothing that can harm us. I mean, ultimately, I mean, let's face it. If we were to die, like Christ says, don't fear him who can cure the body anyway, because where do we go? We go to glory. We go to glory. And so it's, it's just such an awesome thing to think about and. You know, again, as I read the Bible and I think about a lot of different things, that's something that, that just really stirs my heart and really comforts me. Uh, I just want to share something real quick. I know we're kind of running out of time here. We're at, we didn't want to stay here too late on a Wednesday night. But uh, the Passover, again, I was talking about that. Um, something that Scott touched on two weeks ago I thought was so true and so uh, poignant. And that was the, um, the fact that we should... Uh, uh, that traditions can be so helpful for us in our Christian walk and in our faith. Um, in fact, the Passover was a huge tradition. In fact, I want to go over, turn with me real quick uh, to the book of Matthew chapter 26. I'll wrap up with this real quick. Actually, we're going to have a couple quick questions. Matthew 26, and we're going to look at verses 17. Yeah, you know what, let, I'll go a little bit further than that for the sake of time. Let's look at verse, uh, let's start at verse 26. Now this is a time when um, Christ, right before he's going to the cross, uh, he's actually going to celebrate the, his last Passover with his disciples. So Christ had kept the Passover, 
Uh, again, it was a very important event, very significant to redemptive history and something that God said, you will keep this forever. This is something that I want you to remember that I delivered you. And so, uh, real quickly here, we, we see uh, in the book of Matthew, verse, uh, chapter 26, verse 26, it says, And they were eating, and Jesus took bread. Now, this is right after, actually, you know, let's back up to verse 20 real quick. Um, I should have went to the other chapter. <laughs> I wanted to start at verse 17. Wait, wait, just to kind of encapsulate it here. The Passover, they, were, they just sat down for the Passover meal. And as they were sitting there, uh, in verse 26, it says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and gave thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant, which is said for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you with my in my father's kingdom. Now turn again real quick to First um, Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, I want to go to verses 23. And we'll close with this verse real quick here. First Corinthians chapter 11. We have the uh, a very. Uh, we have an awesome portrayal of uh, the Lord's Supper, the, the, the final night uh, that Christ ate with his disciples. Uh, and Paul writes to us, he says, For I received that from which I also, I received from the Lord, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So we see at the end of the Passover, Christ actually takes the Passover, which had been celebrated for, I'm not even sure how many years it had been at that point in time, and actually takes it and pours a whole new significance in it. And now he says, this is about me. And at the, at the Lord's table, at the Lord's Supper that we, take, that we partake of uh, when we have communion at church, in a sense, um, we are taken over in a, a um, in a New Testament revelation of the Passover. Again, Christ is our Passover Lamb. Um, Christ was showing his disciples in the Passover that, again, this is all about me. You know, the whole deliverance of e of Israel from Egypt was by me, and it was about me to show you that I'm going to deliver you one day from something that binds you more than Egypt ever did. Something that held you and oppresses you and something that you could never, no matter how many sacrifices you give, could never atone for. I'm going to actually die for you. I'm going to actually give myself. I'm going to be your Passover lamb. I'm going to go upon the cross. You will no longer need to celebrate the Passover 
You can celebrate my death. You can celebrate me dying for your sins. Because that's what I'm going to deliver you from. I'm going to deliver you from the world. I'm going to deliver you from the power of the world, from sin, from Satan. From the true enemy that has oppressed you. From the true enemy that holds you down. So when we come to the Lord's table and we take that, that um, when we take communion, you know, it's something that's so, so powerful. And again, this is something that God's been a part of God's plan for all eternity. You know, God's laid this out and this has been a part of his plan. Again, the, the Passover points to the most significant event, which is the cross of, of Calvary. That's where he died and paid the price for our sins. That's where we are redeemed. God said, again, the, the uh, Jews celebrate uh, Passover as the redemption. Uh, they celebrate it as deliverance. You know, there's a lot of things they look at it, but when they miss Christ, they miss the true meaning of it. Because the most important part is, again, is that he would come and he would actually pay the price for our sins. And it's so awesome um, when I think about it, you know, again, because the Bible, it's a book about Christ. And again, it's all about what he would do to set his people free. It's a book of redemption. We were redeemed on the cross. The Passover points to the cross. All the Old Testament points to Christ. It all points to him. And so it's just an awesome, awesome thing when we stop and really take time to look at it and think about the marvelous plan of salvation God has for us. Amen? So let's close in prayer, folks. Precious Lord, we just thank you again, Father, for your word, Lord God. We thank you for the Passover, Father. We thank you for our Passover lamb, Christ Jesus, whose blood was shed on Calvary's cross for the remission of our sins, Lord. Father, we thank you for that you delivered us, Father. You delivered us all from Egypt, Father. You, you delivered us all from bondage, Father. You delivered us all from sin, Father. You, you delivered us from those things that, that held us captive, Lord. Father, I pray that you would give us a renewed sense of vigor and a renewed sense of strength as we walk forth, Lord God, and that we wouldn't go back into Egypt, Father, and get ourselves entangled in those things that, oh, Lord, as, the word, as your word teaches us, so easily ensnares us, Father, and Father, that is so quick to draw us back, Lord. But Father, I can't help but think of uh, the song that, Father, the song that Brother Oscar shared with us tonight, Lord God, about the cross, Lord God, and what you did there on Calvary for us, Lord. Father, it's, it's truly, truly magnificent, your plan of salvation that you've you set forth, Father, and that you've accomplished in Christ and that you still accomplish in us, Lord God. And Father, just pray that you make us all faithful stewards and um, Lord God, that you would just make us uh, continue to make us your people, Lord God, and continue to have us serve you. And Lord, may we always look to that cross, Lord God. May we always look to it to find our strength and realize that it was there that Christ died and paid the price for our sins and allowed us to come into your presence, Father, that the veil was torn on the temple that day, Lord God, that they, there was so much that was done, Lord God. That again, Father, it was things that we couldn't do, Lord God, as you, as the people couldn't deliver themselves from Egypt, Lord God, nor could we deliver ourselves from the world, Lord, but by your precious grace and by your 
sweet, sweet love, Lord God. You, you have a plan, Father, and you delivered us, Father. And it's so comforting to know that nothing will stop your plan, Father. Father, be with us this night, Father, we pray, Lord God. Bless the time we have in prayer here, I pray. And Father, again, we just, we just humbly bow before you in reverence of you, Lord God, and we're thankful, for, thankful that you set us apart, Lord God, and you called us. We praise your holy name, dear God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.